Hi there, Dr. James K. Harris. Uh, Dr. Nick Flores. Hello. Hi, happy how, November. How, how did that happen? Here we are. We blink and we're here. It just, that's just the way it is. That's just, it, that's just life. It's weird that it's both true and yet, you know, not true. Like, that's not how it felt. But here we are. It's <laughs> November. Man. No november um are you doing no shave november i are you participating <laughs> i don't i don't i can't i'm so bad at like keeping track of things like that like anytime there's a thing where you have to start and end on a specific day i typically fail uh before we started this recording i was telling you that i just ordered a bunch of advent calendars which i enjoy because you get to buy yourself toys uh but also <laughs> like it is the only thing i can do that like it starts on a day and it ends on a day and i understand it otherwise i'm just like somewhere in the middle i hop in and i'm like oh shit that's happening same for like my mom's really big into kwanzaa and she loves it and like every year somewhere around the 28th of december i'm reminded that it is technically kwanzaa like the third day of Kwanzaa and I have been slacking uh, so I can't mm. do a, anything November because I I remembered that it was November about two minutes ago <laughs> well it, it's only been November for two minutes so that makes sense <laughs> you are go. listening to learning on the job wherein the both of us uh that is um two queer PhDs of color navigate the world of higher education in the United States today and we really, really don't want to get fired. Um, oh my God, that's at it. At all. And so, like, at all. you know, Please? it's like, it's like, how do we not get fired? It's the little um, things. Let's, let's I'm not going to point experience. out, I'm not going to point out to the listener, but only to you that uh, I noticed the lack of recent dish. And we'll just move forward from there. <laughs> well, and we'll just I, move forward from there. How are you, friend? You know, I'm here. I'm alive. Um, and I think that that's good. You know, I think that that I'm I'm all right. Yeah, let's do like a quick check in. I'm curious, uh, James, what color best represents your mood right now? Ooh. Okay, so I'm in the mood of a sort of like food themed color and I'm feeling like a cranberry like a like a mm. red but like a really deep kind of rich red and mm. in part because it's giving me like Thanksgiving vibes but also just fall vibes right like that's I I'm in the mood of the spirit of the season that I'm I'm enjoying that it is finally like sweater weather and jacket mm. weather mm -hmm. I'm thrilled about it uh I I found my boots in the back of my closet like last week and I was like friend let's do it uh so I'm excited I'm excited about all of the fall of it you do love fall um I remember distinctly I think we very briefly talked about this but I remember one of the first times I went apple picking uh as a fall <laughs> activity was with you and it was so yep. much fun in Ohio um so I I think that likewise in the kind of fall mood as it were, I yesterday wore 
this really lovely burgundy. Uh, mm. What is it called? Mr. Rogers wore them. Cardigan. And I don't actually have cardigans in like the rotation of things that I wear regularly. It was a gift that I received last year from like a friend who heard me once say, oh, I don't have any cardigans. And they, yeah, surprised me with the cardigan last year for Christmas, actually. And I, you know, at that time we were, everything was remote. Teaching was remote. Everything was remote. And so it basically just collected dust in my closet. And yesterday for teaching, I finally brought it out because it is sweater weather, cardigan weather, and it's really thick. Uh, but it's this lovely burgundy color and yeah so i would say that that is like quite representative of my mood at the moment a la fall and you know i'm i'm uh i'm excited i'm excited about fall too um the excitement though can be short-lived when you are in higher education because there's just so much going on and it's like why um, so James, shall we move into kind of our first segment, uh, failing better? Would you please give us just a little bit of a taste of what this segment entails? I mean, you know, it's our good buddy, Samuel Beckett, who I actually do love. And I, I, it saddens me because I now, it doesn't sadden me. I teach African-American literature and I love it. But one of the things it means is that I don't get a lot of opportunities to teach as much Beckett as I'd like. But I did force his way into one of my discussions this week because we were watching a clip from Waiting for Godot. And of course, for a long time, I thought this was that. It isn't. It's worse for Ho. It's Samuel Beckett reminding us that ever tried, ever failed, no matter. Try again, fail again, fail better. It's the segment wherein we invite ourselves to sort of like fail over and over and over again but rather than fearing failure we read in it an opportunity to fail better mm-hmm. indeed and both the word fail and the word that i want to explore in this segment with you also starts with an f florida so you know failure in florida i think you know there's not, I, Freud said there was no such thing, no such thing as a coincidence. I think he had that right. Um, so failure <laughs> in Florida. So recently, for those who are either familiar or unfamiliar, uh, the University of Florida recently uh, disallowed faculty from basically testifying against the state in various litigation charges. And the gag is, is that university professors, law professors, people in medicine, uh, folks in the social sciences, humanities, have often been called or have been called in the past to serve as expert witnesses uh, with their various, you know, research expertise. And that is actually something that personally, I think is for the benefit of all, especially if like the expert being called on is someone who's, you know, cutting as research actually brings to bear uh, important or necessary elements to a conversation that ultimately, you know, professors will have uh, because it's their areas. And so in University of Florida recently, uh, they were, again, banned, barred from serving as expert witnesses in a litigation case. It actually just came out today that the president of University of Florida, Kent Fox, uh, has reversed this decision um, after receiving scathing criticism 
uh, to let professors now testify against the state. And, you know, so I think that this is just kind of a very kind of quick and kind of dirty explanation. It's just to say messy, right? Because there's a lot of details here. But the thing that I think, you know, ultimately I want to get at or that I, I'm thinking through and with is this notion of kind of academic freedom, right? And that as much as we want to believe or as much as even myself wants to believe kind of compulsory that like the institution that I occupy can be safe-ish for, you know, academic freedom, it's not, right? And like we know that in knowledge and power is precisely a, that's an institution that I'm currently at. So like that's that haunts that that haunts every part of the conversation, almost every part of conversation I've had here. And so it is fascinating to think about the various the various forces at play that continue to in their own way. And University of Florida, you know, is certainly a highlight in this moment, but it happens everywhere, right? And so what does it mean for us to, you know, to, to be public with our research, right? And this, again, it's a public institution, right? So uh, land grab institutions, right, do have a responsibility to the people for whom they are, you know, serving in, in, in many ways. And I think that that's a message that I received when I got here to Illinois is, this is a public you know, institution, a land grant institution, land grab, if we're getting really decolonial about it. And, you know, there is a responsibility to not only the students, but the people uh, of the state um, that you occupied. So uh, it, it, academic freedom is, is, is consistently, I think, in the United States under attack. Um, and it should be no, so it's not a surprise for those of us in it, but it just, it, it's weird how much of my own internal policing that I now find myself doing. Um, and I, we, I think we've talked about this before with regards to various kind of really contentious and even tumultuous uh, conversations and debates that are having right now, right? And maybe not having the rank of associate or having tenure yet to be able to, you know, rely on that for if I wanted to say something, right? Um, publicly about anything. So, uh, okay. Yeah. I, th okay. First of all, thank you for bringing this to the floor. Cause I saw this and like, I, I don't know, I, I compartmentalized it in a part of my brain that was just like Florida nonsense. Um, mm -hmm. but I think what you're foregrounding is, well, first of all, the update, which I had missed out on the last I had heard was the, uh, arbitration institution basically the people that accredit schools were sent a florida letter saying hey we're going to review your accreditation if you continue this and so i suspect that this is sort of an outcome of that um and 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 i don't know i think i was more willing to dismiss it as an example of a kind of like the space where our anxiety around expertise particularly the new republican orthodoxy that mm -hmm. is like experts are the enemy and you know better than experts and so experts job is to tell you what you want to be hearing otherwise they're mm -hmm. lying uh but like meeting a much longer republican history of anti-intellectualism and right. like that that seems to be what's happening here but but I, but i think that's 
what you seem to be suggesting, right, is that that's too easy an answer. Because what that elides is that, like, it's not just Florida and whatever we want to dismiss Florida as. It's Salida and er, Illinois, right? And it's, right. like, all the, it's, it's every, it's intellectual academic freedom, like, wherever schools are, right? It's the idea that, like, we have some sort of obligation to something that isn't the po political interests of the state, but ultimately we are institutions that are funded by the state. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's where the purse strings are. And right. we can only go, and so this, the, the Florida conversation was really interesting because like the, the governor's argument was essentially you can't, as a state run institution, make arguments that are against the interest of the state. Yes. And it was such a fascinating way of thinking about, first of all, what are the interests of the state? Mm -hmm. Who gets to determine what the interests of the state look like? But also like, is that true? Like, mm -hmm. is it is it the case that a land grant institution has some sort of obligation to perform in the interest of the state as it understands itself at any given moment? Or mm -hmm. does it have some obligation to the people? And is that different? Because it seems like part of the voting rights argument here is like, but we are doing what we're supposed to do, which is serving the people who are being underserved by mm -hmm. this really shitty voting rights legislation. That's what they were fighting about in Florida. Right, right. right. You know, it, it, thank you for doing that thing that you do that clarifies and kind of sifts through my belabored conversation and boiling it Not down into all. like really great sound bites um so uh, it's why i keep you around really but as you were That's talking true. i was recalling rod ferguson's uh the reorder of things and the genealogy of kind of ethnic studies programs and departments in the u.s and how he maps out this genealogy this genealogy between the state uh the higher education institution, right? And the kind of triangulation of those two things, plus like uh, kind of like the power nexus, right? Of, of the ways that um, like, as you've pointed out, right? Like we're, we are the state, right? In, in many ways. Um, Absolutely. And so yes. like, what, and, is it, and what yes, does it mean? And, and the reorder of things and, really is phenomenal. Check it out if you haven't. Everyone yes, listening yes. has. But if you haven't, do. <laughs> For sure. And, and so as you were, just talking, it had me think of that and the ways that, you know, um, it, what is, is it, is it possible from within the institution to, you know, critique? Because um, I think that there is internal critique of the university, right? That that scholarship, which I think the reorder of things is. And Absolutely. I think that there is an opportunity to, to think about and to observe how the institute like higher education as an institution in the united states is tied directly to kind of the state institution right um and the, the state here is like defined or you know without because i'm not a political scientist so i don't want to actually define it per se but i think it's a capillary <laughs> right it's, it's like it's like multiple auspices you know, it's like multiple people backing whatever that higher education seems to be a part of, but I think, you know, that kind of, in, what does internal critique look like for that, for the state, right? Voting rights, um, that there's two streams happening or two camps, or there are multiple camps, but it seems like Florida is symptomatic or is, is revealing quite a bit about the ways that I think that your observation about Republican anti-intellectualism rears its head, right? Likewise, you know, how does that 
how how does that end of the kind of pole or the spectrum what does that look like on the other end um or in a different kind of camp that might also be not in the best interest of everyone either um i don't know if that makes any sense i'm all really of that just, like, out has me thinking a totally wayward sort of stray thought which is just like about this idea of like institutions of academic power as somehow state knowledge but then also that part of what the part of what florida's governor is articulating, part of what a lot of governors have articulated new york's governor before him uh the former one was very much into like controlling the limits of what is knowable right mm -hmm. so like how many numbers of people who are dying in hospitals are we allowed to know about and so like at some level it seems like part of the argument here is about like who what does it mean to sort of support knowledge production? And does that mean you get to control the kinds of knowledges you want to make available or even like knowable? Mm -hmm. And it seems like for those of us who work in these spaces, especially these spaces that are increasingly tethered into like state funding sources, it becomes really important to suss out this question of like, how do we make knowledge while also operating inside of a state that finds some kinds of things unknowable. And the, and those right. things increasingly will tend to overlap with our areas of interest, right? Especially right. if we care about like, you know, queer brown shit. For sure, yeah, right, that, that then becomes and the dangerous, right? But it becomes dangerous, but dangerous. It becomes dangerous. And so I'm interested in the idea of like, these, these sort of representatives of the school as somehow dangerous knowledge, right? right, right, right. And like, and, and the response to them as being a sort of both a suppression, but then like the relaxing of that suppression, that seems like it doesn't really solve the problem mm -hmm. of like, but the state has a very specific investment in the kinds of knowledge it wants to produce, is willing right. to see produced. Right, right, right. Hence I mean, Virginia this, and whatever, this, uh, and the exactly. governor who just won running on like... Critical race know. theory, exactly. Like like wanting to ban critical race theory, but it being actually nowhere in the curriculum, right? Right, like, literally, it's it was about just like, like a the limits of knowability. Like these are the conversations we're saying we won't start having. So if you go in that direction, we'll call it that thing and you're not. And so, I, and right. so I've gone now far afield of the thing that you were doing, just because no, I'm thinking about think sort of like what are the ways in which yeah. we as state sort of funded knowledge producers can operate in in ways that aren't necessarily in the interest of the state but that like or rather that force us to reconsider what we mean when we say state like mm -hmm, is the state mm -hmm. just what rich white dudes want because mm -hmm. if that's the state then i'm always going to be against the interests of the state right right yeah no i mean i think i like like you said and like i think we're articulating here as i think best we can and it's complicated it's messy right but also i think that the conversations that are happening in florida that are themselves kind of under the heading of kind of maybe academic freedom are also interconnected to, you know, what just happened in Virginia and the kind of rhetoric around critical race theory and that being the kind of kind of Trojan horse of sorts for people living there when in fact, like it was all untrue, right? Um, in terms of like it being a part of the curriculum at all. And so, you know, there's, I think that that's part of, you know, what you and I, I think are invested in, or at least, you know, a part of in, in some kind of ways, direct or otherwise, is like also meditating or thinking about the, those interconnections between, you know, the state, 
what it what, you know how do we how do we think about that are we part of it because we are state funded right federal funded also so it's like there's a lot of moving parts and i think that part of you know the the comp i think part of the complication and the confusion of it all is that it is that that is precisely some of the ways that we are operating is 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 meant to confuse us right like we pay you you know and part of what was happening in florida too is like you know they they were you know should faculty be paid to be you know kind of expert witnesses and like there's this gray area about conflict of interest and you know like i just did my ethical training that we have to do every year at illinois and it kind of goes through you know receiving gifts or not or you know like what what counts as a gift or you know are you getting paid to you know be a consultant in some capacity and if so you have to kind of reveal that and you have to disclose everything and you know i mean so it's it's really it is complicated um but i think to kind of get back to the point of, around like you know i think you and you and i are invested or, or rather we are in many ways against the state if we're just kind of thinking about it very uh you know um very practically right and not i and, don't and, think and, new york has ever had a governor that wants the same things i want for new york so you know by virtue of our interest by virtue of the research that we conduct right yeah um and i think leaning into that is something that you know i may be doing a bit more of who knows uh but also like i also want tenure and i don't want to get fired <laughs> Right. So it's like it's real. These, and I mean, these... really, it's like it's like it's a fun, pithy line. Ha ha ha. But real tea. They're out here firing hose all they're day left. Really, and right. Really, like, we've really, talked about a few of them on this show. Times. Like you can get fired for speaking up too loud. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're speaking up on behalf of brown folk in this environment. Mm. Like and so figuring out how to do it, when to do it, where to do it, when like it's it's. It is an actual life or death calculus because none of us can afford to lose our jobs. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's that's all I've got. I I mean, you know, we're gonna get there, and I think maybe <laughs> the failing better of it is that they did in fact allow those people to be expert witnesses, and so at the end of the day, we're gonna have a long and complicated conversation about academic freedom but we're gonna do so from a place where we will leverage our capacity as universities to say the thing we do here requires that we be able to speak difficult truths mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um to that end then let's hop on over to maybe the other side of the country california santa barbara specifically where we could talk about this dorm perhaps mm. you've heard about the dorm that the Guardian has described as a torture experiment. Uh, so UC Santa Barbara has a mega donor who gave a bunches of money to build uh, Munger Hall, I believe, named after Berkshire Hathaway Vice Chairman Charlie Munger. Uh, I think he gave $200 million, it says, to the $1.5 billion project to build a mega dorm. It is 11 stories, 1.68 million square feet. It will be eight story, 11 stories, eight of them devoted to students and then some other stuff. Uh, it will house 4,500 students. Nick Flores, I know you know this, but if I hadn't already told you, would you like to guess what percentage of those students will have access to sunlight in their dorm rooms? 
I will guess, and this is just guessing, 50%. Oh, okay. So this is America. Try again. <sighs> Higher or lower? Oh, this is America. What do you think? Uh, like 80? Oh, yes. That's actually close. About 94% will have no sunlight. And I mean, so we've gone the other direction because it's six. The answer you were I, looking for was six. Six percent of the students in this dorm room, of the 4,500 students in this building, will have access to sunlight in their dorm rooms. And so the architect, the chief architect, has just like straight up quit. It's like, I can't, I won't, you won't put my name on this. I won't put my name on this. This is immoral. It's not just bad design. This is immoral. Please don't do this. Is and that... so we've dropped it here in disingenuous arguments because the architect or rather Charlie Munger has spoken up, spoken back. And he said, uh, fuck y'all. I gave you my money. Build the thing I want. This is the future. This is what college is going to be now. This is what we're doing. And I think the thing that terrifies me is that he's right. And they're going to build this nightmare dorm. And there will be a host of students who will and it's in California, too, where, like, you know, the sun is... It's, it's I mean, like there's so sun, much sunlight. The They'll just say, go outside. Go outside. Right. You didn't come inside for sun. That's, you got sun outside. It's perverse. Uh, it is totally just, like, like eat the rich, please, or something. I don't know. Um, like, <laughs> oh, I don't understand. Well, we would all feast. Like, I, I... I guess I'm going through the article that you've um it looks like they're also claiming a kind of leadership in energy and environmental design also known as lead a gold certification um i think the highest you can go is platinum but like that it is also using kind of environmental sustainability principles as additionally a way to you know like it's okay that you don't have any sunlight. It's like an energy efficient building. Like, no. The architect so... resigned in part in protest of this idea because as the architect pointed out, given that the building is windowless, it is essentially uninhabitable if there should be a power outage. So then power outage and then like, what do you, that's sad. 40, okay, so, so also, where do you put 4,500 uh, Okay, students? also, also like, so th these numbers are like wild to me. So I grew up in a town of 2,000 people in rural Texas. Like that's, that's home. And we're talking about double that, almost triple. And then some, double and then some more. And, and like in one- In one, one building. Unit, on in one, one building that 95% 94% 94% <laughs> of the people inhabiting will not have any natural light or fresh air. No, this, this it's absolutely torture. It's absolutely perverse. Um, I mean, and, and can like, you why... imagine the Hunger Games for a room with a window? Like, no. how do you even begin to decide? Like, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, and then what kind of like legal, like, battles will ensue for like students who are like actually i need sunlight to survive like like, like we all need sunlight all to survive yeah exactly exactly like so I, i'm curious now about this munger vision um this munger hall also the name 
uh yeah like what what what's going to ensue man and it's just like 200 million dollars um 200 million dollars and so this is the thing and so and so i have so many cascading competing thoughts here one of them is like i am so profoundly frustrated by like this feels to me of a piece with the way in which colleges across america have been expanding access quote unquote but like making a shittier bigger version of the thing that used to be here so that what you're getting isn't like so that you get this so like we can now fit 4500 new students but they aren't going to real college they're going to live in this shitty windowless box but like hey we can fit 4500 new kids on and it just feels like all of higher ed is like we're moving in the direction of more and more and more of these kind of money grab projects that mm -hmm. don't really care if they're offering a dramatically diminished version of the thing, as long as they can say, well, here's the thing, give us your money. And so like, part of my frustration is my sense that like, they're absolutely going to charge these kids full tuition price. Like whether oh, you have a windowless sure. room in the middle of this shithole or like a nice dorm in one of the buildings they've had for 50 years, you're going to be paying the same tuition, like same board. Mm. Or maybe a difference of a hundred dollars, as though your sanity is only worth a hundred dollars. And and also then the idea that like this is the future. Like this is we just accepted acquiesce to if donors want to give us money, we have to do whatever they say. Like we get no say because he gave us a check for two hundred million dollars. If he basically wants to walk on campus and like burn kids with cigarettes, we have to let him because he wrote us a check. On the smoke free campus, no for sure. Um <laughs> it frustration anger like, like i can't even imagine uh, so so you know in the midwest you know there's about six months out of the year that are about to begin in the fall where like the sun you know leaves for a little bit you know it's it's cloudy it's gloomy it's late fall most of winter early spring and it's like where's the sun you know and i can't imagine like as a student, as someone who is like a traditional college age student, right? Between 19, 18, 17 to 20, whatever, early 20s. And like this being your residence, right? Like I, it's, I mean, perverse. Like it's just utterly perverse and torturous as like that article in The Guardian claimed. I, What do you do? It's, I mean, what do we do? It's, what do we do, James? It's so deeply demoralizing. It's hard to argue that there's an upside because I mean, like, whatever. I guess maybe the students won't care. Maybe they'll be less bothered by a lack of personal space. And maybe this is just us being people who cling to a world where there used to be wide open fields. Um, that feels not true to me. Yeah, or but, you know, maybe it maybe it's all been a fantasy all along. Um, <laughs> and it's interesting that we're talking about this because today here in North Central Illinois, uh, it is a it's freezing. I mean, I think it's like, well, no, it's not freezing. It's fifty two degrees, but the sun is out. Yeah, and like no clouds. As soon as we get off here, I am going outside on a lovely little walk. Uh, because it's so nice out. And then I'm thinking like, you know, when is the, I don't even, I didn't catch when the projected date would be for this to be finished, but it's like, 
Wow. Like, well, at this point, there's still some opportunity and hope for resistance. There are people who are screaming the same thing that I am screaming, that you are screaming. This is a this is a really not just bad, but like deeply immoral idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will see if any of that matters in the face of two hundred million dollars. We'll see. We shall see. Ugh. How awful. How just absolutely awful. How awful. <sighs> well. I feel like friends. one of these days we're going to get to the part where we take a break on an upbeat. That day <laughs> is not today. But probably should we today. take a break? We should probably take a break. We shall Let's return momentarily. Yay. I was ready. I met it. I was oh, ready. Oh, you totally did. We almost <laughs> even harmonized. Look at that. Uh, I recently read that Cynthia Erivo and Ariana Grande are going to be in the movie version of Wicked. That feels like a Mad Lib that I made up, but it is a true sentence. And so in that world, <laughs> I will be the Ariana Grande to your Cynthia Erivo. Oh, I did not hear this news. I also have never read or seen and only partially listened to Wicked because at Then you're exactly Showtune, the audience for this film. At at, at Showtune Sundays at you know the lo- local gay watering hole sometimes they'll they'll do that and exactly it'll come on and I'm like what's going on? The audience. I like I get excited about when we all sing Sister Act together. I don't care about Wicked. Um but no well, thank you. Fair. Thank you thank you thank you for that that really kind of information that will be missed on me so i I appreciate that james um we're gonna come back to this in about two years (laughs) when christmas movie of the year is wicked starring cynthia revo and ariana grande i don't know who will be who but i'm assuming the black lady is the bad one there are no bad witches in the wicked wicked i'm pretty sure i also have not seen it yeah did you read it (laughs) no no, I most certainly did not. I'm only laughing because the idea that I would have time, have had time. Wicked came out when I was in college. And like the idea that I was reading for pleasure at that point is like laughable to me. Mm. It's like, no, if nobody assigned it to me in class, I didn't read it for like 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Feel that. Well, I, you know, we're actually at that point in the podcast where, you know, we frame our questions to each other as kind of the last few segments. And this dovetails really nicely into the question that I want to kind of pose to you, friend, and that is, what you reading? Ah, so this one's fun. Uh, They're all fun. I love the things I get to read because I get to pick now. Uh, So two things, as I'm sure I've mentioned before, I'm working on a book about Black YA literature. It's fun. It's coming along. It's going to be great. And as a part of the project of putting this thing together, I was introduced to this really interesting book that is like a a not quite 
overlap, but asks a lot of questions that are really inter interesting and central to my project. Uh, and so I'm reading Stephen Angelita's uh, The Fear of Child Sexuality, Young People, Sex and Agency from the University of Chicago. It came out in like 2017, but there was like a really interesting review of it in GLQ maybe a year ago or so. Hmm. And it is, it's, I mean, a fascinating argument for how we think about the limits of sex and sexuality and sexual agency um, and where sort of adolescence becomes adulthood and what adulthood means in terms of how we think about what youth sexuality means in sort of this weird space where sex is supposed to be about like carnal knowledge and youth is supposed to be about kind of like innocence from knowledge uh, mm. and it's it's fascinating and thoughtful and introspective and you know like University of Chicago has kind of a tradition of these books like another of them was uh the child loving guy the I will find it the guy who wrote those books about like you know relationships between uh older men and younger men in literature and so mm -hmm. all, I say that to say University of Chicago has this history of like kind of controversial books on this subject and this feels like it sits somewhere adjacent to that controversy but is much more thoughtful and nuanced than you often get from some of the more controversial sort of like should we let kids just fuck books uh this isn't that this is something I think more nuanced that has a lot more to say about like what does agency mean and where do mm -hmm. we fit the question of sexuality into the question of agency mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so that one is great and it's been super helpful and really awesome uh and then of course i mentioned last week that i'm reading and deeply in love with black food uh i made the jerk chicken ramen this week it was a revelation Ooh. can't recommend it strongly enough and so i said this to our good friend ariel and she sent me the link to recipes for respect african um, african-american meals and meaning by rafia zafar which i have not read but did immediately order and so i will We'll report back it looks incredible it's food studies it's food studies about like the meaning of black meals and like how we read sort of respectability politics but also so much more into the mm -hmm. way we think and talk about food uh and so i read the sort of flagship article that came out from it and i'm super excited to unpack the book uh it should be here next week that's yeah thank you for sharing um both of those titles i am on the website for the the fear of child sexuality and I recently tangentially related uh, taught Rub Gail Rubin's thinking sex uh, 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 piece recently and you know there's always okay. that 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 part where you know she's giving us kind of a history of sex and kind of sex law um, and kind of this notion of kind of consent right always emerges and comes up and it's so complicated uh, and, you know, the kind of incestual relationships and or man-boy relationships that she, like, you know, brings to bear from, like, a kind of antiquity era, right, that informs kind of sexuality today or sex today, right, how we think about sex. So that's that looks really fascinating. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's, it's also really a area that is imbued with so much energy especially these days right like Ooh, so my god um so yeah, i so good on you for kind of parsing through the literature and you know getting through and then also good on you for making them recipes it sounds so good i want to oh I, um, so I made, much good food i uh you'll enjoy this i actually did make a butternut squash soup this week and it was so good and so lovely and 
Ooh, I, I love soup season. Too. Yeah, I love soup, soup season. season. And crockpot oh, season. Yeah, it's like so it's nice. so good. Oh, so, so good. So Friend, what are you reading these days? So, um, thank you for asking, friend. I actually am going back to a title that I I read in grad school, but I'm coming back to um, it's Tim Dean's Unlimited Intimacy: Reflections on the Subculture of Barebacking. A legitimate classic. A legitimate classic. Truly, and you know, Tim is actually here at Illinois, and uh, part of the reason why I'm coming back to it is because I'm working on kind of a journal article and. Uh, I had the very, very distinct pleasure of getting to meet Tim recently and actually have kind of drinks with him uh, and his partner, Ramon, and who's also here at Illinois. And we just like got to like talk and it was like a total bizarre beside myself experience because, you know, we, we have the opportunity now to kind of engage the scholars that you know, I think you and I read, or that that, that I've read, and it, it. So going back to it, because I'm re- kind of working on a piece, because you know I I research HIV prevention and kind of prep, and so barebacking is something that I also address, and that you know is is very prominently a salient feature in kind of the conversation around HIV prevention today. And so you know I was actually having a conversation with Tim about this, and we're talking about the book, um, and I was like, you know, I haven't read it in kind of full, you know, since grad school. And so I want to kind of revisit it. Um, I'm also a part of a symposium that Tim is hosting this this weekend, actually, um, for an artist, Hal Fisher, who is a photographer who did most of their kind of photography in the, the 70s. And uh, Tim, I'm not like on the bill for like, you know, speaking, but he's like, would you like to introduce one of the scholars? And I was like, Interestingly, and this is kind of a full circle moment, this summer I read Jal, Jal Florencio's kind of bareback porn, pig masculine, or, or, or porous masculinities and piggy. Uh, I'm totally blanking on the, the title, I have it right here. Um, but that was part of my, so bareback porn, porous masculinities, queer futures, the ethics of becoming pig. Um, so I'm actually introducing this scholar at the symposium, and I read it this summer. Uh, it was part of my, my, my reading list, and so it's really kind of a full circle kind of moment. So I was like, I should go back to, to, to Tim's like, you know, that the classic work, right? At the turn of the 21st century. And it's funny cause it's, some of it is really, it feels dated in ways, but like not in like a, oh, we can't use this. It's just like, it just, you know, updating it a little bit would be, um, it just is like where I'm finding myself. So. Yeah, I this feel kind the of warm generosity of someone who's met Tim Dean and had dinner at his home. And I will say, so that you don't have to, nah, there's a whole lot of things about this book that don't work in 2021 mm. at all. But that doesn't mean it's not a classic because that's how the classics work. Like, mm. really, a lot of them have problematic bits and pieces. This one being truly no exception. Yes. But it is still, and I stress this, one of the most thoughtful books you will find about like, how to make sense of intimacy, but also like the place where intimacy becomes about embodiment and the sort of limits of sort of like how people engage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a lot there. And there's right. a lot about it that also feels very only in the Bush era could this book have existed. So many, you know, 
at a different time, I could like share with you kind of the process of uh, of what he shared with me about getting the book at University of Ca- uh, Chicago Press and how actually there was a lot of uh, energy around it, you know, for not getting out because of legally what it might have posed for the press. But I mean, it um, like, I, like I said, I could that's a different conversation. But it so he shared some of that with with me and the, the dear friend that I went over with. Um, so yeah, so, that's, so I'm going back to that. Um, and I think in part, yeah, to kind of make sense of some of those like more problematic and or aspects that are just like, that doesn't, like you said, work in 2021, right? Or the conversation has shifted kind of a lot, especially with HIV, right? And so I think that that's it too, right? Like for me, it's, uh, it's a really good um, way into thinking about multiple parts of sex um but like really also foregrounding hiv because i think that that's what the book does well yeah because right? yeah well another so, day yeah another day another there's day. so many thoughts there fascinating yeah. great yeah. choice yeah so i have another question for you dear friend what you thinking oh my god well now i'm thinking about that um <laughs> and so i'll stop because i was thinking before this about oh so many things i i'm thinking about huh I think spring. I think I have my eyes towards spring already. Wow. I think I'm starting to map out in part because like, you know, it's the part of the semester where this semester feels like it's kind of the cake is baking and all that's left to do is sit back and like, yes, yeah, some kids will come along and throw their shit in the oven at the last minute and they might pull out a trick. But for the most part, the cakes are baking. Like we mm. are, where we are. People have kind of settled into like either I have decided that I'm going to give the most or I've decided that I'm going to give what I have to give to get out of here. Uh, and so, you know, I accept this and I'm here for this. Uh, I also, from a logistic standpoint, like my semester shifts pretty soon here into being mostly final project workshops and revisions. Mm-hmm. So like we only have about two, maybe four more days of actual in-person class. And then we're kind of done until next semester. So I'm turning my eyes to spring. I'm thinking about like, you know, what have I learned? What mm-hmm. what worked mm-hmm. in this modality? Um, oh, oh. Uh, I will share this with you because I don't know if it's gossip, but I will not allow for this to be a secret. Uh, so CUNY is going back to in-person in the spring. And that means really no more of this hybrid bullshit. They want us back on campus in our classrooms like a real college. Uh, and they are so aggressive about this. They have apparently started like provosts have started stopping by full-time faculty's classrooms just to check to make sure they're teaching in person wow so i'm very intrigued to see how our back to in-person spring goes i i have not i am not the problem here i think i've been very clear about this i'm happy to go back on i'm double vaccinated gonna be triple vaccinated in like a month here Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. i i'm not i'm not worried i but also, I'm low man on the totem pole, so I'm the easiest person to talk back into the classroom. So I'm not really the problem. So I'm super intrigued to see how this goes. Yeah, wow. Um, the aggression of like the administrators coming in is, is a lot. Um, also, can we talk about how that's what they'll show up for? Like the amount of shit you guys won't come uh, to campus to uh, do, but you'll come to my classroom to make sure I'm teaching in person. Okay. <laughs> No. Okay. I, so you did have time. The, so you did so have time. You, the, cool, so cool, cool. The, we learn. We learn. Don't we learn? Mm. Learning on uh, the job. Am I right? Am I right? Friend, mm. What are you thinking about? 
You know, I, I have a lot of moving parts right now in my like life with, um, with like work right now. And I think it's really, it's not, it's not quite overwhelming me just yet. Um, but I feel like I'm kind of constantly putting out little fires and not like in a bad way. It's just like, you know, the, the, the service, the research and the teaching are all like coming to a four, you know, it's that part of this, that point of the semester, I'm, I'm slightly behind on grading. So I don't think I'm going to be able to take much time off this weekend because I need to get like some stuff graded uh, so that way they, you know, the students can kind of move forward with their projects for, for the class, their final project for the class. And I think, you know, I'm trying to also make sure that I'm taking care of myself too and not like, you know, recognizing that there's so many things out of my control. Um, so I'm trying to just, you know, make my lists and get, get through the rest of the semester. Um, I'm chairing a committee, a search committee for like the postdoc, and that's actually taking a lot more, more time recently because we've, um, we've kind of switched uh, the, uh, the mechanisms and the kind of software and like the, the way that we are approaching the search is brand new. So it's kind of like learning this new kind of software, but also, you know, working with this other office on campus because they require, you know, certain elements before like things can be approved. And so it's just like, oh man, this is so bureaucratic. And like, I am uh, like caught in that cog and I can see very clearly like now, like how, how bureaucracy really does. It's just like so evil sometimes. It's like, why? Um, but I'm not letting that get me down. Um, because it's a really amazing opportunity, right? Like I, this is a really cool opportunity to, to kind of um, think about, you know, postdocs um, in the department because we bring in two every year. So, you know, that'll, hope, that'll eventually, you know, kind of come out soon, hopefully, um, pending a few, um, pending a few more kind of approvals, but it, it will, um, it will hopefully come through. So, um, and you'll likely be getting an email from me, like share it with the CLAGS network, share it with your network mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. So that's what we're here for. Indeed. Listservs. List so yeah. So I'm just thinking about like making sense and trying to stay on top of things. Cause you know, I don't want to be the reason why things that don't time move of forward. season. Yeah. I don't want to be the reason why things don't move forward. So it is what it is. Um, I signed up for this. I'm, I guess I'm getting paid a livable wage. So, <laughs> so it's not right. complaining. It's just like, it's just like a lot of things thinking. It's a lot. Of th I mean, yeah, we're allowed to complain. It's still a lot of things, Yeah. but also, yes, we are being paid a livable wage and you know, it's a, it's a good job if you can get it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, dear James, it has been absolutely lovely. The highs and the lows of the discussion today. Um, the lows being things that we actually have no control over and, you know, are simply reflecting on how ridiculous it is. But it's always just tied to to engage in conversation with you. And I appreciate it. And I appreciate you. So true. So true. So true. It's always a joy. I, you know, I like it. I like it. I like you. Mm -hmm. I'm a fan. Love you, James. And we'll check in again 
and when we check in again. <laughs> <laughs> Love you and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you.